Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Your Week with St. Luke's. You're here with all your pastors as we continue our discussion of 23 and me, a vision for our life and our faith and how we were created. So this week, last week, we did the covenant renewal service, which is one of our um, traditions here at St. Luke's. But this week is a favorite Sunday at St. Luke's. It's our baptism renewal service. Um, I think most churches, Methodist churches, uses the baptism reaffirmation service. Um, uh, Let's talk about it. But at St. Luke's, it's a big deal. Like, I don't even know. We can't tell you what the tchotchke is yet, but nope, there will be, nope, a there will be some giveaway. People hold them forever. Um, but let's talk about what baptism reaffirmation means, folks. What is it? First of all, it's based this year in Matthew's baptism story. So Melissa, tell us a little bit about that. So it's kind of nice that we went through all four gospels last year. So this should be um, somewhat familiar, Um, but we, we get um, the baptism of Jesus by John in Matthew, Matthew three, right before the introduction of him into the wilderness. Um, But there's a couple of unique pieces about Matthew's version of this. Um, Again, still, still John the Baptist. We still get some of that prophetic words coming before it, but when we get into the moment, this is actually the only gospel um, in which we get John struggling and being reluctant to baptize Jesus. Um, John saying that he would have prevented him. Um, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me is what John says here. Um, and then he he proceeds to baptize Jesus. So you get a little bit of that wrestling um, with the, the hierarchy and, and what that means for baptism there. Um, And then the other really unique piece, and we talked about this last year uh, when we were talking about the difference between Mark's and Matthew's um, baptism moments uh, for Jesus is in both Mark and Matthew, we get this moment where the heavens open up and God speaks um, or a voice from the heavens, I should say, speak, speaks. And um, we get this, this declaration that Jesus is God's son. Well, in Matt in Mark's version of it, we hear you are my son. So we have this intimate moment between God and Jesus um, in Mark. But in Matthew, the voice from heaven says, this is my son. This is my son um, with whom I am well pleased. So there is an implication here in Matthew that it's a public declaration, that there is, it's not just a a private beginning of ministry. It's not just a moment between Jesus and God. This is something that this voice from heaven wants everyone that is present there to hear. So some some nuances that that give us a little indication of where Matthew's going. So let's talk for a minute about our understanding of baptism. So what is unique about Methodist baptism, my clergy colleagues? Is that it is an introduction into the community of faith. Uh, for other faith tradition, faith traditions, baptism marks a person's uh, personal faith ascent and acceptance of the Christian life and faith. But for us, which is which is one of the reasons that we baptize infants, is it, it marks an entrance into the Christian community. Yeah. And we share with other sacramental traditions, um, others that consider baptism a sacrament, um, that it's God's work. That I think is one of the biggest pieces um, that folks who come from other traditions that it's important to emphasize is that when baptism happens, we may be the ones touching the water and doing all the things. And even with adults who are being baptized, who have made the choice to be baptized, um, still the, 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 
the moment that that is happening is is a work of God, not of us. Um, right. Whereas in some traditions, it's it's something that we do to symbolize um, a decision we have made. It's actually something we are doing in tandem with God um, to to affirm something that God has already declared. Kind of like God declares here in um, this story in Matthew uh, that that you know it's 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 that same moment of this. You are my you are my beloved. You are my child. Um, this is my child and, and that we do it in, in public for that reason. We do it in community. So, and, and for, for it's God's work is also why we don't re baptize, mm-hmm. right? We don't to rebaptize would then take away that theological claim that God is doing it as if, you know, what God has done can be taken away. God's grace work of grace and salvific work God's claiming work. We might step away from it, but that covenant that baptismal covenant is still present and real. Um, and so that's that's also somewhat uniquely to, to Wesley and Methodist theology is that we don't rebaptize. Now we remember, right? And we like we'll do this Sunday, we'll reaffirm our baptism, which is which is also making that theological claim, remembering what God has done, not remembering when you are baptized, but remember that you are. So we don't we don't rebaptize. Right. Because God got it right the first time. That's right. That's right. Let's talk about that. So we do reaffirm our baptismal vows. We reaffirm God's covenant. We reaffirm that God has claimed us. We reaffirm that that God has said we're beloved. But let's talk about it in the context of Matthew, where it's a public it's a public declaration declaration, which has a response. Right. Doesn't it like like by in Matthew, the whole idea that that everyone heard God say, this is my son. What, what does that mean for us as people who are reaffirming that vow made to us that, that God has done that to us? What does it mean that it's public to you? Well, it's not something of shame and shadow, right? Right. It's something of, of, of great joy and, and, and proclamation, like speaking out. It's not something that's just done in whispers. Um, which for the earliest of Christians was a risky thing to do. Um, and, and, but this is a public open proclamation. Um, and it fits with what we talked about last week that this, I, I am no longer my own, but I am yours. I'm stepping into this baptismal covenant, which is the basis for all of the rest of the covenants within the Christian tradition is this covenant. And so if it's quiet and hush hush and done in private or in a corner over here, it's not, uh, it takes away that 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 openness, and there's an invitation. Well, sorry, I can get too evangelical. There's an invitational <laughs> aspect of it too, too, right? Right to come and join in the chorus of proclamation of what God is doing. So, well, it also and- speaks to how it's a communal act. It's a th- like, and uh, you talk about the liturgy. There's a part where the community responds and uh, and commits to coming alongside the folks who are baptized and and and, and bringing them into community and helping them live into a life of faith as well. I'm sorry, Melissa, you about to say something? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it's that same kind of concept is, is that the life of faith has never been meant to be alone. I mean, if you just go back to the very beginning of scripture, when we first um, hear some of the first stories of, of humanity, of, you know, God not wanting the, the human to be alone and to, to create companionship. And in the, the first creation story, you see, you know, men and women and, and everyone being created together. And, um, and, and when we, when we are baptized and we claim our identity and we are named and claimed as, as children of God, um, that isn't something that then launches us into an individual journey. It's always a communal journey. Um, that is certainly a Methodist understanding um, where, where sometimes we can think of baptism. Again, if we, if we go into that, that adult believers baptism that we, we do celebrate, um, it's still God's work. And it's still something that, that is the beginning of a journey and a journey that you cannot take alone. And so um, for us to to baptize alone would not make any sense. Um, and particularly when we're baptizing children, which is what we most often do is baptizing infants um, that have that have been born into the community. Um, we are we are promising those children that they will not be alone. We are right. we are promising those parents they won't be alone. Because um, parenting can become in those early days, a lonely time where you're going through something that is, is something that lots of other people have gone through, but it's always unique to you. And so, um, there, there is something in that, that is both theological and practical. Um, and that's, that's Wesleyan faith is the intersection of the theological and the practical of how, um, mm -hmm. we, we come together in that way. So, so it's interesting because, you know, Wesley really kind of honestly, you could have flipped these two weeks because, you know, the yeah. covenant renewal is, is really foundational to our baptism, right. And our baptism call. And, and if we are baptized, if we are claimed, then I will give, I will surrender myself to you because it is your life. You have raised me up. And it's interesting because the baptism stories and all the gospels are located and situated right before Jesus begins his ministry so that he's centering himself in his call and his identity as God's beloved child, that his ministry comes from that. So let's talk about that. Cause that's where we're really getting to with this coming week is like, you've been baptized, you've been claimed, you are beloved. And so therefore what is your response? Like, what is your life? What were you created and claimed and called to accomplish, not for yourself and your own vision, but again, for God's vision, for God's vision for your life, but also for the world because of your life, right. you know, and we're going to be talking about using the, the, the prophetic Isaiah text about how Christ came, you know, the prophecy was that Christ came for this greater vision was the Messiah came to do this incredible, powerful thing in the world. And so that's what he's baptized into, but we say we're baptized into that as well. That's right. So let me ask, like, so often I think of things like baptism and confirmation, like we do sort of in the zeitgeist of religion, it becomes this personal thing between me and God, but it's really not. It's for the purpose of us as baptized people claiming our calling to be in the world, revealing the kingdom of God. Right. How do we make that jump? Like, how do we figure out what our personal calling, what our personal ministry is as baptized people? James says, or it says in the book of James, 
that true religion is to care for the widow and the orphan. And I think that what that gets at is what the Christian faith is about is caring for the vulnerable among you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, right. And that's what it would have been during that time. And so I think we but need to look around and ask ourselves, who is in need and in what ways can I contribute to that need? Mm-hmm. And the and and for me, the the central theological thrust f- for me is this claim of belovedness. And if I'm going to claim it for myself, I have to claim it for everyone. And, and so that's that's Henry Nouwen's Life of the Beloved. But for, for me, that looks different for everyone. But if we all work on claiming it for ourselves and then seeing it for everyone else, while it's going to look differently, it's going to get to what you're talking about, Jeremy. It's going to it's going to get us to that place to we are caring for uh, the lost and the vulnerable because they are beloved as well. And, we're gonna, and our enemy, they are beloved as well. And our neighbor, they're beloved. And so that's that driving thrust um, that's just that for me, if that's not there, like, I don't, I don't think I, I, I could be a Christian, Uh, but Christ calls us beloved and calls us into that baptismal covenant. Um, So I I don't understand how, uh, how people can live only in that one place Mm -hmm. um, of that self-centered ego driven place. I've heard it said that as soon as you, become a Christian and join a church, the church is no longer for you anymore. Right. And I think that, that is, that is the, the crux of the response to baptism, partnership, whatever, whatever we want to call it, belief, um, salvation, however you want to name it or frame it, that the second you have received and accepted your belovedness, your part in the community, your, you know, claiming by God, um, your life now is no longer about you figuring that out. It's now you turning outward. Um, you're no longer seeking something for yourself. You're now living entirely seeking for others um, and seeking for the community. And so, you know, what would it look like if 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 our entire church and no one in our church was looking for anything from our church, but was looking to be the church to ask those questions of need elsewhere? Because once I understand my belovedness, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have to like reclaim that on a daily basis and, and, and reprocess that on, on a weekly basis. There are times of doubt and disbelief and, and all of that. I'm not negating any of that, but that when we are in those spaces of belief, when we are in those spaces of commitment, when we have prayed the prayer that we prayed a couple weeks ago, um, to, to say, I am no longer my own, but thine, um, that means that what the church is about isn't for me anymore. I get to then figure out what the church needs to be for the community. Right. It's the, so what of your life, mm-hmm. you know, what's the point? Tom Long always, you know, would, would, as my preaching professor would be like, okay, like what's the, so what of your sermon? And it is, it's the, so what of your baptism? It's like, okay, you're baptized, you're beloved. You've given your life to Christ. You've surrendered it all. So what? So what difference is God going to use it to make? And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. I, I, you know, another, uh, this is not mine. This is from another pastor who's gone on in his life to do other things, but it's that, but I love it. I love the language of holy discontent. 
like that embedded in us because, because of God's, the way God wired us, because of our experiences in life, because of our understand the depth of our understanding of our belovedness and how, whatever journey it took to get there, every single person has some kind of holy discontent. And, and this pastor said it was the, it's the, I love it's so simple, but it's the Popeye in us that says, you know, I can't stand it no more kind of like this. I can't. And I think it's, it's interesting. Cause when Jeremy, when you were talking about James, the read, what was that scripture again? Say it again. The point of religion. It was like true religion is to care for the widow and the orphan. Yeah. You know, in, in 15 years, just here at St. Luke's asking people, what is your holy discontent? I've never heard it not be about something or someone that's vulnerable, whether it's children or adults or people with special needs or the economy or making to the church work or the environment or, or animal. It's always about someone that's vulnerable or someone who doesn't, as Jad said, know their belovedness or someone who Melissa said, isn't about community. It's it's really figuring out like, what is it in you that wakes you up in the middle of the night and it, it will not let you go because whatever that is, is most likely that thing that God has given you to be a part of the solution. I wonder what you would say then, Jen, to a person that listens to it, or really all of us, you know what I'm saying? We can think about it together. What didn't we say to someone who says, you know, I searched my heart and I just don't know if I have that. I just don't know if yeah. I have something that yeah. keeps me up at night and, and that I think about. I'm going to uh, let other people answer first. Uh, 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 <laughs> your pastoral response or prophetic response? Both and. Do, do both. Uh, prophetic responses. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Uh, or, or even like, well, then you need to go to the desert. You need to like Jesus, you need to sell everything and, and go sleep under a bridge for a couple of years until you find some Holy, cause like it's there, it's there. Um, that would be the prophetic thing, <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, because there is, I mean, there is such need, um, so that, that would be you know, my prophetic answer. My pastoral answer would be like, well, let's 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 take a to a spiritual gifts inventory and and let me introduce you to uh, you know Miriam Fakurta and <laughs> and let's learn how to grow food because there there are hungry people and we should do something you know. I I think they're the same response. I think pastoral for me, pastoral and prophetic is the same as yes, you do. You might be afraid of it, yeah. or you might be ignoring it. And it sometimes isn't the big, like children are hungry thing. It's the, I, it breaks my heart that there are people who don't know how to read or people who don't know how to, to it, it's different for everyone. Right. And what may seem for some to be a, let's solve the housing crisis. And you go, oh, mine's not that, like, I don't, that doesn't right. keep me up at night, but there is something. You just probably are not giving it its credit right? because you don't think it's big enough, right. but it's big for you. And that's and that, for God. That's, that's yeah. why what we are yeah. doing over these next couple of months matters is because mm -hmm. your little thing is one thing among everybody else's things. Let's say it is little. Let's say it isn't big. Let's say it is, it is minute. 
but it's the thing that you uniquely are called to care about. Yeah. And, and that thing when combined with everybody else's things, chances are your little thing probably does go to address one of those other things. It probably right, does actually, right. um, you know, it, it probably does actually uh, uh, check a box to help us solve the housing crisis. You may just not get us there. So right, that right, actually right. is connected yeah. to that. Well, and and it's, so, yeah. I was going to say that's, that's why each baby that's baptized in our church, when they are baptized, they're given a baptismal candle as representative of the light of Christ oh. in them, that in that covenant, they are to shine to everyone else, right? And that 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 metaphor and that image plays out to what you're saying, Melissa. That that just that little flame casts light this far. But if we all, as baptized believers, take our unique giftedness, we shed a lot of light into a dark and broken world. Right. And my light might be focusing over here, but all of our light together shines to all the places of injustice. And the work I can do over here and the work you can do over here, we're all in this covenant, this baptism waters together, shining the light of Christ. Yeah, it's the person that's like, well, it feels like my holy discontent is when, you know, someone in the, like, <laughs> that the pews are messy. It, this is this is going back a few years when we had connection cards in the pews. The pews are messy. It just drives me crazy. It's not hospitable. It's not welcoming, which then leads to I'm going to come and I'm going to make sure that the pews are neat and I'm going to make sure that there's offering envelopes and there's connection cards, which then allows the person who is really, really excited about evangelism to invite someone knowing that they're going to sit in the pews and that they're going to have it a connection card or the person who's really, really excited about generosity and stewardship and that we want everyone to be able to tithe and to give and be a part of it has an offering card. And then that leads to that someone being generous and someone being welcomed. And then that leads to, I mean, it just, each little thing I think leads to something bigger when we put them together for 23 and we, 23 and me makes a difference for 23 and we, and who will be. Like, Jeremy, did you ask that question because you've heard that before? Or I think we all feel that at some point in our life for sure not to negate that feeling. Mm -hmm. I asked the question just because I, I was wondering for the person who might say that. I think mm -hmm. um, probably part of a, part of us being leaders of a faith community is that we do have that thing. But I was right. just wondering, what about the person who maybe is new to their faith or maybe even maybe someone who just historically has struggled with compassion for others, right? right. right. Yeah, just wondering about that, yeah. Well, and I think there are different times in our life, going back to last week, you know, for everything, there is a season and, and, and this idea of the seasons of our faith are that sometimes we're in a season of winter where that holy discontent is deep beneath the earth because there's other things I need to work on and here in my own life in order to be able to be a part of the discontent, uprooting, planting kind of thing. And so yeah. I think there are seasons for that. Um, but don't negate that God has, the Holy Spirit has whispered into you. Right. And with that season thing, that is where doing the spiritual gifts inventory is exceptionally helpful uh, right. because we all have spiritual gifts and some of them are at the forefront and others are latent in our, in our lives. And we'll go through a different season and the gift, spiritual gifts we've always known will move to the back and these other spiritual gifts will move to the forefront and we don't even know it. 
and and that that just leads that's confusion i don't know right but when we we are more aware so with that season piece come that's what that really comes into play if you've ever said the phrase someone oughta generally you're 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 in you're in the club um well and it's interesting the spiritual gifts thing so much so much of our time is spent taking the spiritual gifts to figure out what my gifts are. And so therefore I know where to serve and I know how to live into my holy discontent. And when our spiritual gifts change, we go, huh, there must be something going on in my life. And what we forget 23 and me is about 23 and we, your spiritual gifts may have changed because God has put together the body of Christ in such a way that there is a new need Mm. for St. Luke's to fill And so God is rearranging the spiritual gifts and the parts of the body in such a way that you'll be prepared as a group collectively. So it's, it's a matter of, again, shifting into that covenant renewal of, Hey, Lord, you're not just using me for your vision for my life, but for our life collectively. And so I may shift into a new space for our church to be able to accomplish what it needs to accomplish in the community. And we forget that that we're a part of that bigger piece of DNA. Yeah. And that's so powerful to watch happen, um, to be, to be a part of that. Yeah. It's funny. I've had, I've had St. Lucas come and sit down and go, yeah, my spiritual gifts shifted. And I've been the one that's been going, Oh, you know why? Because you don't know that we need this. This is the, these are the things that we need in our church. And oh my God, look, you're one of the ones that God is preparing for us to be able to do that ministry. It's so, so, so cool to be a part of that. All right. So last thing before we leave today, what is, do you remember your favorite baptism renewal thing that we've given out or moment that we've done in your time at St. Luke's? Rubber duckies. Oh yeah, 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 the rubber duckies. I've forgotten about those. We, we why did we do those? We did rubber duckies for kids. Um, right. because we in the shower, shower tags that had right. um, a prayer on it. I still have those shower tags. So we did a shower tag so that you could remember your baptism um, in the shower. Cause I mean that there's, there's some, there's some parallels there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we said, let's do something fun for kids. And we did rubber duckies and um, yeah, all you adults who took rubber duckies and we ran out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because we all want a rubber ducky. So I think we should do rubber duckies again this year, but. I was about to say, I think we should do rubber duckies too. Cause I would have definitely taken a rubber ducky. They were um, cute. Yeah, and I missed it the first time, so I didn't get an opportunity to to oh. deprive our children of rubber duckies. But I was <laughs> I was sure like to. The number of adults that looked at me and go, "Can I can I take a duck?" And I said, "Yes, of course you can take a duck. It was great. It was a great day." Anyone yeah, I, else? like I still have the keychain from when we did did that, and I see a lot of people with them, and I think that's really cool. So that just that that uh, that's been one that's kind of hung on for me. Um, and then I see in a lot of people's keychains that that's the thing. Um, that's that's the one that sticks out the most for me. My favorite is Dwight Rickert. Oh, Dwight, if you're listening, yes. you uh, gave out cross pins, one these beautiful cross pins that had like a replica of Jesus or something, something it was beautiful, it was really, really pretty. And he wore every Sunday he had that on and it was mm-hmm. just he put and it his on baptism renewal and the Jordan, right? Is that from when he got 
re- no, it was his baptism? Peter, but yeah, yeah, he in the same season he did that. So yeah, yeah, I have all mine because I think it was two years ago. Maybe it was during COVID. We asked people to like put them all on the mantle, like right. with we asked them to keep Jesus out all year from their manger, and then so mine always come out with my nativity set. They nice. always, and I have like a heart, and I have a stone that says "Remember." I have like you know four or five different little a cross. Um, I love it. All right. Thanks for being with us. And uh, next week, we're going to be actually starting our lectures. We're going to be working with electioneers on throughout the year. We're in lectionary cycle. Remind me. See? We'll get back to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and so you can go on and and Google that. And we'll be walking through each of those. You'll know what it is. And Jad is going to be lecturing over the next few weeks. So look forward to joining together then. And until then, we'll see you Sunday for baptism renewal.